afternoon, guys. Glad to see you today. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, we are not in a series this summer. We're sort of in these little, sort of smaller, standalone sermons. And what they are is just a, a series of sermons or a series of scriptures that have really affected uh, me. So last week, one of the first scriptures that I ever memorized, 1 Corinthians 10:13, we did that. Um, and this week, we're going we're gonna to look at another scripture that's uh, really meaningful and it's also, I think, going to be very, very um, powerful uh, in your life. So go ahead and turn to Philippians chapter 2, if you have your Bibles. If not, uh, if you don't have your Bibles, you can look it up in the bulletin. But uh, I really do want you to have your Bibles open to it because it's just good to be able to navigate around your Bible and, um, and, and be a, familiar with your Bible. It, believe me, it, it's really important in times of uh, difficulty to know your Bible. Okay, so uh, we're going to pray and we're going to ask God to help us and, uh, and then dive right in. Father, thank you so much for this opportunity uh, to be here, to be able to share your word. Lord, I know that many of us come from different circumstances and different backgrounds. Lord, uh, some of us are doing fantastic. Some of us, our bodies are breaking down and for others, there are relational tensions that are in play that are very difficult to ignore. Father, I do pray that in Jesus' name there would be a sense of your healing, your being there, your speaking to us. But Father, I know that when we join together, Satan is not idle. So I pray against Satan in Jesus' name. I pray against his works, his devices, his plans, his schemes. And I ask, O oh Lord, that you would rebuke Satan in Jesus' name. That you would help us to focus in on that which you would have for us to do. And Lord, that you would be glorified through our living your word, even as we hear it. For we do pray in Jesus' name. We're going to go right into... Amen. Uh, we're going to go right into, um, into Philippians chapter 2. And it's just so... Man, there's so much good stuff here that I, I really don't want you to miss it. And so, um, Philippians chapter 2 reads like this. Now, I'm going to ask you guys that from verse 5 through 11, I'm going to ask you to read along with me. I'm going to ask you to read along with me. So, uh, be ready for that. Uh, but I'll read verses 1 through 4. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any fellowship with the Spirit if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Now, all of us together, okay, starting in verse 5. One, two, three. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made Himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, He humbled Himself, and became obedient to death, 
even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Excellent. Now, today what we're going to be focusing on is something that is so crucial. What we're going to be focusing on is the very thing that if you have any relationship at all, whether with a friend, a co-worker, a family member, a spouse, uh, a son or a dad, a mom or a daughter, whatever relationship that you have, what we're talking about today is going to affect your relationships. It's going to affect the quality of your relationships. It's going to affect the longevity of your relationships. It's going to affect uh, the, the kind of relationships that you allow yourself to be in. It affects everything. Because every one of us know what it's like to be in a relationship that isn't very healthy. Every one of us know what it's like to be in a relationship that goes, oh gosh, this is not a good relationship. This is not a healthy relationship. There's something here that, that's not right. Watch this. Today, what we're going to discuss is to ask God and, and really dive deep in, deep in a principle that's going to help us. So if, whether you're single, married, looking to be married, friends, or you want to pay attention to today. It's going to be huge. Now, the, the principle that we're talking about today is a simple principle, and it's called humility. Humility. Now, humility has to be the most important ingredient in any relationship. You go, oh no, love would be. Not so much. Not so much. You ever been in love with somebody uh, that wasn't humble? That's a tough, painful relationship to be in. You ever, you ever love, and you go, no, 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 commitment. Uh, humility. Humility is it. Paul, writing from a prison, writes a letter to the Philippian people, and he shares with them, in this unbelievable passage, it's actually my favorite passage in all of the Bible. Uh, it's a sort of a battle between that and Psalm 34. Um, but he speaks, even as he's in jail, he speaks to these people. And he's speaking about joy and how joyful he experiences life and how full he is in Christ. And then he goes into chapter 2 and he's talking about imitation of Christ. This is so key. Now, I do a lot of counseling. And in my counseling, here's what I've discovered. I've never, in all of my years of counseling, have ever seen humble and humble get into a knockdown drag out. I've never seen that. I've never seen humble and humble not be able to work out their differences. I've never seen humble and humble uh, not be able to talk through to a solution. I have seen I don't care and obstinate. I've seen them get divorced. I've seen prideful and, uh, and mean-spirited have a blowout. But I've never seen humble and humble. Never. And so, um, 
we're going to look at ways that we can cultivate humility in our lives. But more importantly than that, we're going to look at the one who cultivates humility in our lives. So we look at this passage, chapter 2, verse 1. Actually, before we go on, let me give you a a, sort of a definition of humility that I found um, from C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis says this, Humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. Is that a good quote? Humility is not thinking less of yourself. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry. Yeah, I got that right. Humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. So, in other words, humility is not a pretty girl thinking less of herself and saying she's ugly. It's not a smart guy thinking less of himself and saying he's stupid. It's just simply thinking of yourself less. Not being the, the predominant focus of your life. Whenever we think of prideful, which is what we think of as the opposite of humility, we think of a runway model walking down the runway, you know, a a model walking down the runway to write said Fred's song, I'm too sexy for this church to say, right? Have you heard that? Maybe that lyric's not in there. I don't know. I don't think so. But um, we, we, we think of that. We think of that as being, oh, that person is prideful. Or we think of a rich person who tosses his keys to the guy who's supposed to park his car. He goes, don't scratch that. And we think of that person. Well, that person's prideful. That person's arrogant. We think of, uh, we think of mean-spirited people at hotels going, you know, uh, you know, uh, I wanted this soup this way, and just kind of screaming and making the person, the waiter who brought it feel bad. We think, oh gosh, what a prideful person. What a, what a terrible person that is. But pride, being prideful is not just those extremes. Being prideful can be seen in people who have their nose up and won't deal with people they think that are less than them. But you know what also is prideful? People who are in a depression. You never really think of pride as being um, a person who's in depression. But think about what depression is. A depression is uh, when someone's going through a depression, and it could be chemical, very, 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 very rare. Very few people have an actual chemical problem. Mostly people have a thinking problem. And so what does a person who's going through a depression, and I'm speaking as a a person who just came out of a three or four month depression right just recently. Um, what, What do we think about? Well, when we're in depression, we think about how lousy we are, how unattractive we are, how much better our life could be if we had a better job. So then we fall into a depression. You know what that is? That's pride. That's focusing in on ourselves. It's the, uh, pride is also the person who fishes for compliments. You go, no, 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 that person is humble. It's like, no, 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 really, I'm, I'm not that good at that. And just, no, 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 what are they doing? They're fishing for compliments. What are they doing? They're focusing in on themselves. That's what a proud person does. Well, humility says, no, humility is not thinking, of your, thinking less of yourself. It's simply thinking of yourself less. Not thinking of yourself as much. Not being the focal point. Not being the foundation of your life. Well, we look here, and we're going to see some instruction before Paul gives us uh, an idea about what humility looks like. He gives it from the personal standpoint and also from the corporate standpoint. So let's look at the scriptures. 
Philippians chapter 2, verse 1, says this. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete. Look up at me. Look at me. When you and I are found, when Paul is saying, if you have any comfort from his love, any fellowship with the Spirit, if you have any tenderness or compassion, when he's asking these questions, these are not questions like, oh, some of you might have comfort from his love, tenderness and compassion. It's not, he's saying, it's, when, he's, when he's saying it, he's saying it as if to say, since you already have these things. Because to be united with Christ is to have fellowship with the Spirit, comfort from love. It's to have uh, tenderness and compassion from Christ. To be united with Christ is to prosper, not in the gross, disgusting um, ways that we hear about TV televangelists who say, oh, if you come to Christ, you will prosper. You won't get sick. You'll do well financially. All these good things will happen to you. That is absolutely alien, not found in the Bible, completely and totally um, against Scripture. That's not the kind of prospering that the Bible speaks about. The kind of prospering is the kind of unity that we have in Christ. The joy that even in the midst of the storm, I mean, I know what it's like to be beside somebody's literal, literal deathbed. And they talk about the joy and the comfort and the tenderness and the compassion that they're receiving from Christ. It's, it's, it's because being in Christ produces that. Walking in Christ produces that. So he says, it's almost like um, uh, if my wife goes up to say to me, she goes, if you love me, please change the outfit, Right? You know, if, if, if you love me, please don't. Well, she's not, she's not wondering if I love her, right? She's not guessing, gosh, I wonder, uh, I wonder if Edwin loves me. What she's saying, since you love me, as a byproduct of that, you know, would you not wear the short shorts? And the, no, I'm kidding, I wouldn't wear short shorts. So, um, gosh, this is going to be a tough crowd. Okay, that was funny. I thought that was funny. All right, but here we go. Since since you have these wonderful benefits. Verse 3, uh, verse 2. Then make my joy complete. Now, this is an incredible statement because Paul is talking about, Paul in chapter 1 was talking about his joy. And he was talking about the fullness of joy. But here's what you need to understand. Paul is speaking from a jail cell. He's writing a letter being imprisoned, unjustly, I might add, not for any sin that he committed, but for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul is unjustly being accused, and yet he has great joy. Because Paul's joy, the, the circumstances of Paul's joy, was not found on his, in an SAT score, or in the love of a, of, in the affection of a lover. It, his joy was not found in his, uh, uh, the stuff that he had, the car that he drove, the house that he lived, the the money that he had in his pocket, the way people viewed him. His joy was found in the immutable, never-changing love of Jesus Christ. And because his joy was found there, even in prison, he could have great joy. He says, make my joy complete. Do not, uh, 
then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and in purpose. By being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and in purpose. Listen to me, NBT. If we want to walk in this, not just individually, but corporately as a church, as a church, we want to be a people who have the same mind, who love the same, who are one in purpose and commitment. We want to be people who are focused on the things of Christ and who are not derailed. We do not want to be a church who spends its time arguing about the paint on the walls or that person didn't say hello to me or that person didn't call me back. As a church, we want to be like-minded, having the same purpose, being one with one another. We have a purpose here at NBT. And it's, I wonder if anybody knows, it's to share, help, and equip. That's what we live for here at NBT. That's what everything we do, we gear so that we could share, help, and equip. Share the gospel of Jesus Christ because there's no greater news than finding out that the King of Glory who has the power to judge chose to forgive, paid the penalty for your sin, took on your sin, and lives in you and decides to live in you for as long as you are, which is forever. It's wonderful news. And He grows us and He draws us to Himself. This is an incredible news. So we share the gospel of Jesus Christ We help people by meeting them at the point of their need. That means people are going to need to learn how to read the Bible. People are going to need food. We meet both needs. People are going to need help getting uh, connected back to society after they uh, go go to a jail, uh, you know, after they've been in jail, and we help them to connect back in society. People are going to need detoxes and rehabs, and we we are fundamentally uh, uh, trained to do that and lead people in that way and to help them grow. But listen, this is our job. This is our purpose. Never, never, never consume yourself with the petty things of life. Have a bigger scope of ministry. Have a bigger view of life. Have a bigger sense of calling. Your walk in Christ should not consist of a particular time on a particular day to hear a particular message that makes no particular use in your life. It's to glorify Jesus, to lift Him up, to do what you've been called to do. And in our congregation, it's to share. It's to help. It's to equip. Paul says, make my joy complete. Be one. So here's the deal. Just before I go on the rest of the message... In Jesus' name, I forbid you, I forbid you in Jesus' name to talk bad about each other. I forbid you to gossip. In Jesus' name, I forbid you from being small-minded and all about your little thing or your little purpose and they didn't come to my party so I'm not going to go to their Bible study. Your silly thing. And I'm just going to, in Jesus' name, forbid you from doing that. And I'm going to empower you to love each other well, to keep the gospel front and center, to keep the things of Jesus Christ more in focus than anything else in your life. Do nothing out of selfish ambition and vain conceit, but in humility. Actually, let's just say this. Listen, I wish I could convince you of this. Would you just do nothing? Anybody know what nothing means? 
means not one thing. Right? Listen. Some of you have tuned me out, right? Oh, gosh, I feel like I'm going to sleep. This is not... Would you do nothing out of selfish ambition? Husbands, would you just do nothing out of selfish ambition? Wives, would you just do nothing out of selfish ambition and vain conceit? Would you just decide that your life is not going to be categorized about satisfying you? We have a we have a, a, a term for people like that. It's gluttonous. It's self-centered. We don't, we don't want to be around people like that. In Jesus' name, then don't be a people like that. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. But in humility, consider others better than yourselves. You know, it, it, it's, it, this sentence flies in the face of what our entire culture teaches. It's a doctrine, a theology, to ignore a statement like this. It's, you, you know what we call it today? To ignore a statement like this? We call it, listen, self-esteem. We go, well, you know what the problem is? You just have low Self-esteem. One, one time, I was actually shocked. I was going to do a series because I was kind of, I bought into this whole self-esteem deal. And I was uh, going to do a series on self-esteem, how to build your self-esteem. And I was looking in the Bible for self-esteem. You know how many times self-esteem comes up in the Bible? No times. Zero times. That's how many times esteeming oneself comes up in the Bible. Do you know how many times esteeming God comes into the Bible? Hundreds and hundreds of time. It's our goal. See, listen, self-help doesn't help a whole lot. Self-help is not that very helpful. And if your goal in life is to esteem yourself, is to think of yourself more than others, then what you'll find is a very, very, very empty, shallow life. Don't live. And this is, listen, there and I know I'm flying in the face of a bunch of stuff because, all right, there are a bunch of you who, who come from 12-step meetings, right? And then there's another group of you who really should go to 12-step meetings. And then there's a bunch of you who are either married or in close relationship to a person in a 12-step uh, environment or anything like that. And when you live around those environments, and by the way, I'm there too, um, but when you live in those environments, what you discover is that it's all about self-esteem. Esteeming yourself. Making yourself feel better. I'm just letting you know that that's just a road trip to nowhere. It only goes so far. There is nothing good. And I'm not talking about thinking of yourself. And again, uh, I'm not talking about a pretty girl saying she's ugly. I'm not talking about a smart guy saying he's stupid. I'm saying that in building yourself... When I was a kid... I had terrible acne. Did anybody else have acne when they were a kid? Okay, yeah. I had like super bad, I, I was reminded of this the other day. I went into a hotel and there was a, um, a mirror. And, and, uh, women, you all have this kind of mirror. Most of you have this kind of mirror. I don't have this kind of mirror. And it's a circular mirror. And then, you know, you look at yourself. And then if you flip the mirror around, 
it's like super magnified, like five times more. Right? Do you have this? You can count your pores on your face. That's how magnified it is. And as I was looking, as I was looking at it, I was reminded because I have all these craters. You know what craters are? It's when you were uh, popping uh, your, your own pimples rather than, and I had these little craters and all that other stuff. And so I was looking at it. And I was like, wow, it just kind of reminded me of the acne that I had. And I had acne all over my face, my lip, my forehead, my nose, my, my, my cheeks. It was just all over the place. And trying to build self-esteem as a 15-year-old would have been stupid. Going, it doesn't look so bad. It's not. See, see, that's stupid because I know the truth. I look in the mirror and I go, okay, that looks pretty bad, at least in my culture. In a 15-year-old, junior high, high school culture, um, that's the worst thing that could happen, right? You, you could almost be caught with food stamps and do better than if you're, you know, right? They don't do food stamps anymore. Now it's the card, right? Yeah, but when I was a kid, I was growing up, it was food stamps, and you would almost rather be caught with food stamps in your pocket, and you would, you would rather die than be caught with food stamps in your pocket, but you'd almost rather be caught with food stamps in your pocket than have a pimple, a pimple. I had an army of pimples. They had decided to attack. And so... Um, he, my problem wasn't that I needed more esteem. My problem was is that I found my esteem in myself. I found my esteem in how I looked. And so if I was clear and I was dressed nice and I felt good and I smelled good, oh man, my esteem was fantastic. And if I wasn't, then my esteem was through the floor. Self-esteem is not very helpful. So the Bible tells us, rather than self-esteem, esteem the Lord. It says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look, and this is very key, each of you should look not only to your own interests, now that's an important line, because you and I have interests, isn't it true? We have interests, right? Um, I'm looking around the room, and, and, and I know some of your interests, some of you have hobbies, right? Comic collecting, uh, stamp collecting, puzzle building, your car, you know, different hobbies uh, that take place here. That's fine. But the Bible's saying, don't just look just to your interests. Instead, each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. This is huge in marriage. This is huge in marriage. This is huge in relationships. Because if you don't look to the interests of others, what you just simply discover is a self-centered relationship. Nobody wants that. Verse 5 says this, Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Let's say verse 5 together, okay? Just to Christ Jesus. Let's say it together. You ready? Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Now, here's the Bible telling you that you should be like Jesus. Now, a lot of us have a, a great lie planted in our minds, and it's this. If Jesus did it, then I can't do it, because he's Jesus and he's God, and we can't do it. And that is the farthest thing from the truth. In fact, if Jesus did it, it's proof that we can do it, because he's promised to live in us and live through us. And the Bible is commanding us to be like Jesus. Not in our own strength, not in our own power, but we can be like Jesus because Jesus lives 
in us. If you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, it's no longer effort that you're living for, but in fact, you're living in the power of the Holy Spirit. You're living with Christ living in you. So you're empowered. You're enabled. When I read the Bible as a non-believer, it made no sense to me. And as I came to Christ and I started to read the Bible, and I just, man, it started to open up. When um, obedience to Christ never made sense to me. And yet, as I came to Christ, it started, obedience started making sense to me. So when the Bible says, imitate Jesus, it's because it's not telling you to do something that you can't do. It's telling you to do something that Jesus will empower you to do. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. And here it is, folks. Who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. Now listen to me. Some of us come from Mormon backgrounds. And some of us come from Jehovah Witness backgrounds. And some of us come from places where we go, oh, Jesus, he's a great man, but he's not God. Listen, listen to this verse one more time. Who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. In, in other words, the verse is saying that Jesus in his nature, was God. God himself. Not lesser than God. Not like God with a tiny g who somehow just under, a little bit under the real God. Not so. No, this is God in human flesh. God who would condescend to come. The creator of the universe. The one to whom we pray. This is God. He says, Jesus, who being in very nature God. Do you know, do you know who I am in very nature? Does anybody know? Right. I'm Edwin Cologne, right? That's who I am in very nature. Uh, you know, who being in very, he, who being in very nature, Edwin Cologne, did not consider equality to be, and that gets very confusing, doesn't it? And that's where we see sort of the, the trinity and we see the beauty of that and it's just really complex and really beautiful. But what we see is that Jesus is who he said he was. He is God. And he was in... Now watch this. this is, why is this important? Because of the next line. Who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant. Listen to me. If Jesus, who was in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. In other words, if he condescended from heaven to earth, how easy is it for you to condescend and not reach for your rights? I mean, if God could come down and be born in a human body, in a smelly manger, in a very undignified way, how hard is it for you to humble yourself? in your circumstance. I, I know, I know. You think, but, but if I humble myself, people will take advantage of me. You know, we say things like this. They don't know who I am. And I just, I just can't tell you how destructive that is. When we go into circumstances and we go with, with a very arrogant disposition trying to prove that we're more or better than another person. It's not healthy. 
Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. Verse 8. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Look up at me. Humility has great reward, but I want to let you know that you and I cannot be humble in and of ourselves. If we leave here today saying, we're going to be humble, we're going to try to be humble, we're going to do our best to be humble, I'm letting you know you're going to fail because, again, you're focusing on yourself. Humility is one of those, humility is one of those vapor-like things that once you think you've got it, you just lost it. It's one of those slippery things. Like, the person who goes, oh yes, I'm very humble, just made a very prideful statement. Are you really? Because you just, you just missed it. You just missed it. Listen, listen, listen. So it's one of those slippery things. So if you go and you say, oh God, I want to be humble. And I'm going to be humble by my own strength. You're not going to do it. Listen. The question is, What brings out your arrogance? What brings out your pride? If someone defames you, if someone speaks poorly about your reputation, is that what gets your juices flowing? If someone says a lie about you, is that what gets your juices flowing? If someone starts talking about your kids, is that what gets your juices flowing? Like, what is it? What is the thing that you feel like you have to defend? What is the thing that you feel like you have to fight about? You have to power up. You have to. What is it? That's the very thing that we want you to go, no, no, no. That is not the source of my joy. Because if my joy comes from Christ, then if someone says something about how I look, my joy, my, my self, my hope, my future, my beauty... It's not found in what others perceive as my looks, but in who my God is. And so, so when someone says something uh, bad about my kids, I don't have to power up, I don't have to fight with them, I don't have to do anything. I go, well, just, just, that's simply true. And I just keep it moving. So when, when your spouse comes up to you and says, oh, but... You never do anything. Well, if you're filled with self-righteousness, you think of the two things that you did that month that you could throw back in the... Oh, four weeks ago, I washed that dish, right? You know, I locked the door two months ago. You know, so, so it's absolutely ridiculous. If, but rather, if your spouse comes at you, even if they say, you know, you never do anything, you go, I'm, I'm not sure what you mean, but could you just kind of flesh that out. What do you mean? Do you need need more help around the house? Because humility will do that. Humility will come out of a situation, not from a prideful my rights perspective, but humility will address circumstance from having God as our joy and our satisfaction. If we're proud, what we're doing is we're looking... If you tell yourself this, well, I deserve a break today, so I'll get this. That's what pride does. 
It looks to satisfy itself. It looks to over, be overjoyed in the pleasure it gathers in itself. That's what pride does. No, humility doesn't do that. Humility says, I'm going to get my joy, my satisfaction, my peace from Christ. So here's what I want you to do. What I want you to do is two things. I want you to ask a question and memorize a scripture. Everybody say that. I want you to ask a question and memorize a scripture. So, this is what I want you to do. This week, as you go throughout the week, whether it's with your spouse or your family members, your siblings or your parents, whether it's with your co-workers or uh, your acquaintances, whether it's in a meeting or it's at at, uh, school, whatever circumstance you find yourself in, I want you to ask this question. I want you to ask, in the decision that I'm about to make, what would be the greatest benefit for, and then fill in the blank. In the decision that you're about to make, what is the greatest benefit for, and then fill in the blank for whoever you're with? So, how, what does that look like? So, if I'm, if I'm a young person, and I have uh, younger brothers or younger, you know, like younger siblings, and I say, and they come up to me, and they say, hey, could you help me with, and then they explain what they need help with. In humility, I'm going to go, what would be the greatest benefit for this person? And I can answer different ways. You know, maybe uh, they just need my help. They go, you know what? I'm going to help them. Or maybe they're falling into a sort of a codependent pattern where they keep on asking for help for something that they should learn how to do. And in that case, again, I'm not thinking of myself. I'm thinking of blessing them. And I'm just saying, okay, I'm going to serve them. I'm going to serve them by not helping them in this thing, but I'm going to teach them how to do it, you see. So that's if you're a sibling. If, you're, if you have a spouse, and your spouse, and you come home, and it's a long day of work, and your, your habit is to go, hey, hon, what's for dinner, or whatever it is, I'm, and sit in front of the TV and just start clicking away, you want to ask this question. What would be the greatest benefit for... And then you mention her name or his name. You just go, oh, I know what I'll do. And you come to the person and you say, honey, is there anything? I see you here uh, doing several things, you know, uh, kids or dishes or studying or working or whatever. Is there anything that I could help you with? And, and, and you go, but wait, I'm so dog tired. You don't understand. I'm so tired. I know. But you're not thinking of yourself. And you can, you can go to God, God, I'm trying to serve humbly. Would you give me a deep rest tonight? Or your spouse might say, no, actually, I really appreciate you asking me, but no, I think I got everything under control. Are you sure? Because I really want to serve. And your spouse might say, no, 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 really, I'm good. Take a nap. It's like, oh, thank you, Lord. I knew, you knew I needed that. <laughs> but listen to me. That's the question that I want you to ask for the rest of the day. Do you think that you're capable of asking that question for the rest of this week? Do you think you can hang with that for seven days? Do you think that's possible? What would be the greatest benefit for, and then whatever. What does it look like at your job? So that's what it looks like. It might look like at your home. There's a thousand other illustrations I could give. But what would it look like at your job? I know it's you have a 30-minute lunch break. You're at minute 25, 
and the conversation's getting good, you're maybe talking some gossip about the next person or your boss or whatever it is, and you realize, oh dear, oh, it's only five minutes to get back. And so the question comes up, what would be the greatest benefit for my employer? Man, that I would get back to my workstation, I would do my job with great joy. So I don't go 15 minutes past 30 minutes, I get there two minutes before 30 minutes. And I'm there and I'm ready to work. That's what that would look like. What, what, what else would humility look like? Maybe uh, if it takes uh, maybe 20 minutes to get ready at your workstation, wherever you are, whether you're in front of a computer or in front of an assembly line, if it takes 20 minutes to change into a uniform or put on a particular garb, then why not come 20? What, you ask the question, what would benefit this work invite? What would benefit my employer? Oh, that I'll come early. And the first thing I'm not going to do is look at my email on the computer or all that other stuff. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to get myself ready, ready to work. Because in, other, in humility, you're thinking of others as better than yourselves. What about with your friends? I mean, we could have illustration after illustration. Here's my point. This week, I want you to memorize a scripture and I want you to ask a question. And the question that I want you to ask is this. What? would be the greatest benefit for whatever you're making the decision about. Listen, if your joy is found in Christ, this decision will be easy. You'll argue a lot with yourself if your joy is not found in Christ. Because Christ will empower you. He will strengthen you. He will help you. He will equip you. And He'll also give you the right thoughts on how to do. People will be shocked. Secondly, I want you to memorize a scripture. Now listen. Ephes- uh, Philippians chapter 2, again, it, it should be written in gold. It's so precious. It'll be cool if you take this week to memorize verse 5 through 11. You can do this. Listen, if you can memorize the lyrics to your favorite song, you can memorize this scripture. It's not hard. You could do it. And basically what you're doing is you're being reminded... Oh, wait. I'm being asked to do something that Christ has done himself and that he'll empower me to do. My encouragement to you is to memorize the scripture. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but took on the very nature of a servant, being made. And oh my, if you would just memorize this scripture what you would have throughout the week is you would be reminded of of what Christ is empowering you to do. I encourage you to do that. Finally, I want you to think about this in terms of this church. What would humility look like in terms of this church? What areas of service would you do? What places would you get involved with? How would you serve this, your church if in fact, how would you do it if in fact you were walking humbly, you were obeying this one scripture? Just think about it. I mean, it would change everything. Imagine what your marriage would be. Is do nothing out of selfish ambition. What would your marriage be like if you believed that one part of that verse? What would your marriage be like? Do nothing out of selfish ambition. 
what would, what would your friendships look like? What would it look like if, in fact, with people who say evil things about you and all that other stuff, if you said, no, 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 Christ is my joy. My reputation is not my joy. My looks are not my joy. My children are my, not my joy. They, you know, all these things are, are, are wonderful and, and, and great gifts from God, but they're not the source of my joy. The source of my joy is Christ. What would it look like if that was your life? Oh, man. I'm telling you, people wouldn't recognize you. People would go, well, what happened? And you'd be able to tell them, Jesus happened. Um, I encourage you to, excuse me, <coughs> thank you. I encourage you, I encourage you to ask Jesus to give you wisdom on how to apply this humility in your life. I encourage you to walk in Christ and go and confess to Jesus. You know what, Jesus? I live for this person's verbal affirmation. And if I don't get it, I'm angry. No, 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 Jesus. I'm going to get my affirmation from you. I don't want to live for this person's affirmation. I'm going to get my affirmation from you. You are going to be esteemed in my life. I'm going to esteem you. You are the source of my joy. You are the source of my pleasure. You are the source of my future, my hope, my dreams, my satisfaction. You are the one who fulfills. You are the one who completes. You are the one who satisfies. And as you do that, Lord, I want to, I want to think more about serving others with great humility than about myself. Let's pray. Father, I pray.